How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy. These traditions, jack-o'-lanterns, putting on costumes, handing out treats. They were started to protect us, but nowadays, no one really cares. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, moxie, tricks, and treats. No or. I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today for this bop and a movie are my co-hosts, Mike. Say hello, Mike. You notice Sam does not fight for the right of candy corn? I thought you were going to say to party, and I was going to disagree. But no, he's right. clearly fighting for the right to party, because Halloween parties yeah. are part of the Halloween tradition. But notice how the demon of Halloween does not fight for the sanctity of candy corn. And we're recording this on National Candy Corn Day, which I want to point out to everybody at home. And none of us have candy corn. Oh, no, it's not allowed in my apartment. Recently, I was at a CVS where uh, they had candy corn, but it was mixed in with other shit. Like, they tried to cut it. like, well, like cocaine? Yeah, like, there, there was, like, actual good candy inside there and, like, nuts and shit and, like, M&M's. They made, like, a trail mix version of candy, candy corn, corn trail mix? No. Yeah. I know. I'm like, right. You just made trail mix bad and candy corn also bad. You didn't improve anything. It's like putting onions on the burger. You're always going to taste it. <laughs> I don't mind onions on burgers, though. I like onion straws on burgers. Those onion are straws are pretty fucking good. I don't like crunchy onions. I like them, you know, really well sauteed. This is getting far away yeah. from trick-or-treat. Jamie is our other co-host. Say hello, Jamie. <laughs> Am I the only one who really wants to hang out with that huge Viking lady? Like, I want to know what she's what she's got going on. She's clearly hitting the gym like five days out of the week. That's too intimidating to me. We're really getting down to Jamie's sexual proclivities here. Yeah, to start things off, too. So it's all going to go downhill from here. Does anyone else get hard while the kids are drowned in the bus? That's why Jamie gets so mad in Superman when Superman saves the kids. Like, no, my heart on! Could you imagine how bad it would be if that was your kink? Oh, I can only come if I drown a short bus. (laughs) That sounds like the worst euphemism. Halloween. It sounds like the worst euphemism, but the reality is even worse than the euphemism. God, that's why Brian Cox is so angry. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can only come the one time. Guys, Get out of my yard, kids, before I come again! <laughs> You've seen teeth, right? It's like that when that one kid just runs out and like, I haven't jacked off since Easter! It's the same thing. <laughs> oh, we're off to a good start. Anyways, folks, today we're watching modern-day Halloween classic Trick Er Treat. I, I have to emphasize the er, because there's a little hyphen. Uh, yeah, everyone yeah, loves that one. Yeah, it's not Trick or Treat. We're not getting into Papa Satan here. No. So, if you guys have a copy of it, you should pop it into your Blu-ray players or pull it up from your streaming services. After November 1st, this is going to be on Shutter, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and watch along with us. But before we kick off the movie, I gotta give you the official drink for the evening, which is, drumroll, the painkiller. This is a classic tiki-style cocktail. Uh, I have done nothing fancy with this. I'm just making a really good drink that's already out there in the world. You probably had one before at a bar. Uh, what you're going to need, two ounces of Jamaican rum. My personal favorite is Appleton Estate 12-year. Uh, an ounce of gold rum. Bacardi's fine. Uh, four ounces of pineapple juice. An ounce of orange juice. One ounce cream of coconut. Just a little bit of nutmeg for garnish. And if you want to get fancy, put a pineapple wedge on top of this guy. It's pretty easy to make this one. You're going to take all those ingredients, minus you know the pineapple wedge and the nutmeg, uh, throw it into a cocktail shaker that's filled with ice. Shake that guy vigorously until everything's nice and chilled. Strain that into a hurricane glass filled with crushed ice, and then you're going to sprinkle a little bit of nutted, <laughs> nutted nutmeg, grated nutmeg, yeah. nutted oh. nutmeg, grated nutmeg over top, and then just stick a pineapple wedge on the side of the glass. Uh, it's tropical, but delightful. Uh, most of the time when I do a Halloween commentary, I make a drink that's more trick than treat, and this time, fuck it, I'm just making something I want to drink. Uh, Painkillers well, are after delicious. after you went blind last time. Oh, it was the worst. I grew hair in places I didn't know could grow hair. And then hair on that hair. Woo! Uh, anyways, yeah, this thing's delicious. I made a double for myself. I'm drinking out my Creature from the Black Lagoon Tiki. I've got a I was little, gonna ask. I've got a little tiny umbrella pick with three cherries <laughs> stuck on it that is holding up my straw paper. Don't worry. I care about the turtles. Fuck, this is delicious. Also, the nutmeg on top makes us feel a little bit festive. You know, it's a little bit fall. What, just don't fucking argue with me. Just make the drink. It's delicious. You'll love it. And it's been three seconds. I'm assuming you've made the drink and are now ready to party. The audience is vigorously nodding. Yes, Mike? Do you want to count us down to the start of Trick or Treat? I don't like you telling the audience, I bet you're ready to party. They are ready to party. That disturbs me. Yeah, I'm going to us. They're full uh, of nutmeg now. <laughs> oh, the nuttiest of nutmegs. Mm-hmm. Short bus full of nutmegs. Anyway... It's a horrible thing to say, but I can't quite pinpoint why. <laughs> I'm going to count to Maybe three. Maybe it's all to come. After I say three, we're going to press play, and uh, for all you folks at home, the Warner Premiere logo is going to come up specifically. One. Two. Three. Wimmy wham wham wassle. Okay, so am I the only one who at this point always sees that logo and thinks, oh, we're about to watch a DC animated film? Yep, I think <laughs> Batman's about to show up any second now. Yeah, but you always think that. I'm not in B. He's, he's still yeah. mine. I think Booster Gold's going to show up any second now. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, before the action starts, let's do our quick rundown of fun movie facts. Got to think trick of or treat facts. Every, one <laughs> fact <laughs> could be a trick. One fact could be a treat. I made up all these facts. That's the treat. 
Anyways, this is directed by Michael Doherty. We all know him, right? He did Krampus, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. He was a writer for X2, X-Men United, Superman Returns, and surprisingly, Urban Legends, Bloody Mary. That threw me off a little that, bit. I That's random. That, I that was that. incredible. That is an actual fact. Directed I was surprised. By, directed by Mary Lambert, too. That was her return to horror. Actually pretty solid. I recommend checking it out. I gotta, I gotta track that one down. It's, it seems Nothing like something right about it. It's pretty much Doherty doing his take on Hello, Mary Lou. So nowhere near as good as that movie, but it, it's interesting. Yeah, but I honestly love like when horror sequences sequels get down to like directed video entries that have nothing to do with the original one. I, they have a soft spot in my heart. That does get weird. Then it's that's pretty why, great. That's anyway. why you own the entire. Sometimes they come back quadrilogy on Blu-ray. I don't have that yet. I'll, I'll yet. Get Notice he says yet. Yet. Oh no! I admit I'll have it. It will be mine. I'm not proud of that. I'll own it. Oh, I'm gonna make that mistake. Don't worry. Oh yeah. For sure. I'm not defending it at all. This is a bad choice. Okay, let's let's keep running down these facts. Uh, the movie was also written by Michael Doherty. Uh, the cast includes Dylan Baker, Anna Paquin, and Brian Cox, who... Can we... Is he quite genre royalty? He doesn't have a lot of credits, but he has big credits. He was our first Hannibal Lecter, uh, and he's been in the autopsy of Jane Doe. Just amazing in that movie. I think that one's going to really build reputation over the years. Plus, oh, he's a genre he's... heavy. Yeah, but he's he's I done like so many things. He's not like genre specific. Uh, anyways, our music is by Douglas Pipes. If your last name is Pipes, I feel like you should do music. So that was a good choice for him. Cinematography by Glenn McPherson. Uh, he did a bunch of the later Resident Evil movies. I have no comment about that. I'm just saying he he's done them. Uh, this was edited by Robert Ivers Iverson Iverson. It was kind of released. On December seventh, two thousand seven, at Buttonumathon, but really, it didn't actually hit DVD until October sixth, two thousand nine. So that's when pretty much the rest of the world saw it. Uh, budget was twelve million dollars, and the worldwide box office is question mark because again, it only played music or er, uh, movie festivals, so we don't really have a good gauge for how much money it made. I'm sure you could track the unit sales for the DVD, but uh. Box Office Mojo is kind of funky these days, so it was difficult to do that, so I didn't do that. And those were your fun facts. Most of them were probably right, except for my pronunciations. Has that ever been, like, actually revealed? Like, anybody ever admits? Or did anybody working the movie even ever find out exactly why this was pulled from theatrical release at the last minute? I've so, only ever seen hearsay, yeah. Yeah, on the special features and commentary on the Scream Factory disc for the movie, Doherty speculates a little bit. He doesn't say anything super definitive, and they don't have a direct answer. But his comments kind of went along the line of, when they took this to testing, test audiences gave it good-ish reviews, basically like on par for what a horror movie gets. So they knew audiences would pretty much like it if they saw it. But the marketing team had cold feet and they had no idea how to promote the movie because it's a horror comedy and they didn't know what side to lay on to get people into the theater. So they had faith in the product, but they didn't have faith in how to sell the product. Also, apparently WB, when they finally sat down to watch the movie, was very upset at the number of dead children. <laughs> like, I don't know how they didn't get that beforehand because it's obviously a big part of the script. Like, they didn't just throw that in the last second. 
but the studio was very uncomfortable having a theatrical release that showed dead kids uh, and violence around the children. So this got pulled. They put it on the shelf. They didn't know quite what to do with it. And it gathered a reputation over the years just because people saw it at different film fests and really appreciated it. I know for me, like, fuck, when I got my hands on this opening day, like when it came out on DVD, I was so excited because I had been seeing reviews from it forever. Like it just had like a holy grail reputation. So it was so cool to finally see this thing, which I think really helped it in the long run. Like sure, it didn't make box office money, but it had a huge amount of clout coming to yeah. DVD. If it didn't have that, I think it probably would have petered out in theaters with just a couple of bucks and you'd have people on Twitter saying, hey, this movie was underrated. You should watch it. Yeah, now, probably. Like, uh, everyone is a horror fan knows this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Trick or Treat being the movie WB doesn't want you to see was like its own marketing campaign. Oh, for sure. It helps that the movie is also very good. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not made with that direct-to-video quality to it in any way. Like, you actually see a lot of the gore. It's It was made for, again, $12 million, which is not nothing, even in 2007. Think of it now, like, fuck, every time they make an Insidious, that's made for, like, a million dollars. So this is, in comparison, pretty well-funded. It's actually impressive how much money uh, they were afforded for this, considering it was from Doherty, who just didn't really, other than screenwriting, hadn't done anything. And it's a horror yeah. movie when horror was just fucking dead, other than Saw and Paranormal oh, Activity yeah. was poking around. Not even and yet, actually, but... And it's presented as a horror comedy, so it's like nothing about yeah. the screen box office gold. And it has like creep show throwbacks with like the comics and shit, so. Well, more than that, yeah. like that last shot we just got of the woman with the lollipop stuffed in her face, the freeze frame on that, that is such a creep show shot. That's classic oh, yeah. creep show right there. And I love the new creep show that's on Shudder, but I would say that's that shot is more creep show than 90% of the stuff in the new creep show TV show. Oh yeah, it's you can see the love for creep show and like and horror anthologies in general just seeping out of this. Like we've gotten so much horror throwback over the past decade or so since Trick or Treat. I was stuff like Hatchet, but I love how this is a throwback specifically to old horror anthologies which is a subgenre of horror that never gets enough love, despite being very big at one point. I really wonder, if you ingested the budget for Creepshow for inflation, if it would still top this one. Like, is this the, the most heavily funded anthology horror movie? Probably. I don't know. It's... Maybe it's since very... Twilight Zone, the movie? Oh, that's a good oh, point. definitely. Yeah, yeah that I one that that definitely, yeah. Fair point. Also, interesting for this and one, it, even though it's aping like the EC comics, and we have kind of a horror icon to guide us through the stories, it's not the same as, you know, like in Creepshow, where the Creeper will be off to the side, and they'll have comic panels explaining his narration of what happened, or the Crypt Keeper making puns. This is more like a Pulp Fiction-style anthology film, which yeah. is fascinating in its own right, because it really breaks convention of how these things are assembled, and your expectations for how they go together. Yeah, I do wonder if that's another thing that kind of miffed WB, because I know that was a bit of an adjustment the first time I saw it, because it's so unconventional. It feels less like an anthology movie and more like if you took a walk through the world and 
an anthology movie took place in. It's like an anthology open world game. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. So in your mind, how does the mythology work? Is this city constantly experiencing weird kooky Halloween shit each year? Or is it just because Sam is visiting on this particular year that all the Halloween supernatural shit goes down? I've always kind of just assumed it's Sam's presence, like where he goes, spook follows. That's kind of how I thought about it. Which is fun because they could just make a bunch of sequels of this and Sam just pops up in a new town and new shit happens. On the yeah. other hand, it's yeah, always they, fun to have like a Castle Rock situation where it's just one town that's super unlucky and everyone just deals with it. I know, I've always taken it as like Sam doesn't really, his presence is part of the overall kind of like supernatural magic of the night. Or more supernatural happenings can pop up like the, the kids at the lake and all that. And of course then werewolves just exist. <laughs> They're just around. It was uh, fun. On the DVD, they talked a little bit about Sam's origins, and they had an idea to show him being born in a pumpkin patch, like ripping his way through <laughs> a pumpkin. It was, it's a bummer they never were able to actually film any of that or produce like a bunch of concept art, because it sounds like such a neat idea for him to be born. Like Each October 31st, he rips himself out of a pumpkin patch. That would be awesome. Then we have to watch a big-ass pumpkin day. We should have watched uh, this for big-ass uh, pumpkin day. <laughs> I don't know. Pumpkin Carver was pretty goddamn magical. True. So can I just say, I love how this is one of the very few Halloween movies where revealing Halloween costumes for women are a plot point. Because <laughs> Trick or Treat from beginning to end isn't just a horror movie. It's a tribute to the holiday of Halloween, and every single aspect of Halloween is represented in this. Yeah. Even awkward costume shots. And for this one, too, it goes along with the theme. This is kind of the trick part of it. I mean, obviously, we find out later these girls aren't just, like, the hot victims that are eventually going to be preyed on by werewolves. They are the werewolves. That's your treat. You don't really care to see the trick part of this so much, but it's the build-up for the more enjoyable reveal later. Plus, Stuart even mentioned he wanted it this way because it toyed with your expectations. When you see a bunch of hot girls in a Halloween shop, you assume they're going to be attacked by some sort of monster and just terrorized throughout the evening. You don't expect them to actually be the ones that are the nightmare monsters out in the dark. Also, I never noticed a Dracula behind him there, foreshadowing. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's all over me? the place. He follows them around. <laughs> Speaking of foreshadowing, Kids the amount of shit going on in the background in this movie is astonishing. Oh, yeah. oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, every time I watch this, I pick up on new little things. I'm like, oh, okay, it's that character from story three. They're over here. That's going on. This timeline must be, you know, point B or C or whatever. Okay, can we just take a moment to give appreciation to one of the greatest fat kid actors in cinema history? Like, it's this and the kid from The Sandlot. What about that kid from Matilda? I think they're all related. He was too. pretty good though. He was a one-hit wonder. Yeah. This kid, look at this kid's face. It's like he was molded to be the fat kid in this movie to die. He has to be dead in real life now, right? <laughs> they just killed him on set. He was the sacrifice. That's why WD didn't want this getting out. Tragic hair too. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, there goes the family from the opening segment. It all connects! I love tracking shit in the background so much. And there's even some unrelated things that happen that are interesting. You could just do a series of movies that are that take place on this night in this town. Although as fun as it is, I imagine it's also a pain in the ass, because it's like, okay, we already filmed your main scene, but we need you to hang around for like three extra days so you can pop into the background randomly. And there was even more of that if you watched the deleted scenes. There was even more, like, intersecting. Mm -hmm. But I like the way these all interconnect, just because it hints at a larger world of mischief going on. Yeah. Like, if they wanted to, they really could just do sequels of This Night on Halloween. Like, we saw a handful of the stories that were going on, but maybe there were five other stories that happened in between these. And if we went back, maybe they'd recast some of the people that were just background extras before. You have that option. Uh, that would be such a cool, like, twist reveal. It's like in the last scene, you just see Anna pack one in the, the, the little Bo Peep outfit walk by. <laughs> Remember when uh, Cloverfield 2 was going to be about that? Yeah. Like, the camera was going to, like, briefly focus on those other people on the other side of the bridge, and Cloverfield 2 would be from their point of view. So that would be the thing that connected the two movies. For some reason, I find that idea fascinating. Like, people will probably be really annoyed because you're just seeing the same thing from two points of view. But it, it's neat because you get the theme and variation. Are you always impressed with how quickly Dylan Baker is carving this pumpkin? He is murdering that pumpkin. I'm very worried about the way he's carving it. Like, he's just well, done. He does seem he's done now. <laughs> he does seem to be from a long line of pumpkin carvers. Oh my god, does this take place in the <laughs> no, he's like, he's a bad, he's a carver that went evil. He went rotten. I was about to say, God damn it, Mike, this is like a Dr. Sleep situation. Like, God, he needs to shine to collect the mist. Uh, I, he's I taking think... the steam out of the pumpkins. <laughs> I think the old man from Pumpkin Carver is the dad Dylan Baker keeps talking about. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of, speaking of, have you guys seen the how, like, any footage of the Halloween Horror Nights? trick-or-treat attraction not much i saw some of the ghostbusters stuff i mean it looks so cool every year I, i'm very jealous of all the people that get to experience that stuff uh, i watched it a few hours ago and uh, the house for that is just this house and yeah. whenever you approach dylan baker starts giving his monologue about the rules of halloween <laughs> it's awesome uh, one fun fact to point oh, out no, here, this vomit is actually mostly made out of chocolate and, like, chyro syrup. Because uh, they had to make it edible so the kid could, you know, accidentally swallow some and not die. And in some of the scenes when he's throwing up, they just, like, put some of the chocolate syrup fake vomit into his mouth and just had him spit it out. At other times, <laughs> there would be, like, a classic vomit tube they just, you know, digitally erase later. Plus, this was pretty much the point in the movie where people knew they were allowed to laugh. Like, this is definitely dark comedy. Also, really, I, love I mean, how if you walked into this blind, you wouldn't know. Yeah. I mean, at this point in the movie, if you watched this fresh and you didn't hear any of the buzz, you wouldn't know it's an anthology film, and you'd be very curious how it all connects. So it's, it's not until a little bit later we really realize these are all separate but connected stories, I think. You're probably waiting for these to somehow you know, tie it all together at the end. So this kind of, it works like the Rosetta Stone for the rest of the film. You know, the tone they're really trying to strike. It's very impressive how they even establish all of the other threads just in this first, like, five minutes. Yeah. 
They get Another, a little bit of the kids, a little bit of John Carpenter next door. Another kind of fun way this breaks the mold for most anthologies. If you, if you look back at most anthology films, they typically bring in like four directors and each person handles like 15 minutes of the movie. And they all end up feeling very, very different. Like one story will be supernatural, another one will be a murder mystery, and one will be a revenge tale, stuff like that. Psychological horror. And they're all directed in different ways and filmed in different ways. This one I love because Doherty wrote it all himself. He filmed it all himself. Same cinematographer for everything. It gives it a unity while still making each part varied. So unlike most yep. anthology films where it's only as strong as its weakest entry, this whole thing is about the same level of quality, which is super rare for anthology films. That's what, that's what was great about uh, Creep Show. Like that's a Romero movie from beginning to end. So it, it's, it makes it even more impressive that Doherty wrote all these stories completely independently of each other. Yeah. <laughs> like God, wasn't the uh uh isn't Dylan Baker's storyline something he wrote in college for like an assignment or something? I don't know if it's that particular story, but yeah, a lot of the stories evolved that way. Like he wrote one head in a drawer and it's like, I don't know where to put this. Well, throw it into this Halloween movie. From what we've seen of Doherty's uh, horror style with Krampus, I feel like he didn't have to massage those stories afterwards too much to get them to all have the same tone. Like, yeah. I think this is just the tone of Doherty's <laughs> horror. Which I'm totally cool with. I wish we got more stuff like this. I would love it if he just kept going through the holidays. So we've got Halloween down, we've got Christmas down. It was a good old Thanksgiving killing. Hey, at least I'm we got really the, uh... hoping... At least we got the FearNet shorts. That's true. Those are fun. I'm really hoping Doherty's going to make a big return to horror eventually. Well, he did say he's willing to do a trick-or-treat 2 if Legendary was still on board. A couple yeah, years ago, like... Legendary made a big thing saying, Hey, we want to do trick-or-treat 2! It's announced! After Godzilla! It's totally happening! But then there was a regime change, and now the leadership is different, so they may not have the same priorities. Probably don't have the same priorities. Yeah, Legendary is very different now, unfortunately. Yeah. They're not as fun as they used to be. Still make good stuff, don't get me wrong, but yeah. They, they don't... I mean, Trick or Treat 2 was announced... Fucking... Four years ago? It was about that. It was forever ago. It was long before he even got attached to... Um, Godzilla. Yeah, that was our first thought when that was announced. Like, oh, oh that's awesome. Oh, that's going to push back Trick or Treat 2. I could have sworn, I, I might be remembering wrong. I thought he had just been announced for that, and they're like, whenever he gets done with Godzilla, then it'll be Trick or Treat 2, which is why we knew it wasn't coming anytime soon. No, it was definitely Regardless, beforehand. still not happening anytime soon. Why don't we get Dylan Baker in more things? I love Dylan Baker. He's so underrated. I'm very frustrated he never got to become the lizard. Hey, they brought back Simmons. There is nothing saying Marvel cannot bring in Dylan Baker as Kurt Connors. It's true. I, I, fuck it. Next time they do a Spider-Verse movie, just have him be the lizard. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. I don't think Dylan Baker can age. I think he's perpetually 47. I was going to say, uh, I looked his age up earlier. I think he's 60. You know, you know what Dylan Baker looks like in this movie? Um, no. 
Douglas from Falling Down. Oh, God, he does. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Oh, Dylan uh, Baker is, in fact, 60 years old as of October 7th. Happy late birthday, Dylan Baker. Doesn't look a day over middle-aged. True. <laughs> it's his blessing and his curse. He's got, like, Leslie Nielsen disease, but at a younger point. Uh, this reminds me of what I was going to say earlier about the Halloween Horror Nights attraction. The uh, best part is that at a certain point, you can go down a hallway and a door opens up and a dude dressed like Brian Cox will yell and shake a bat at you and then go back inside. <laughs> Terrifying. Also, I never noticed this before, but the gnome helping in the background with his own little shovel. Ah, I, I'm like, what are you talking about, Mike? Is he holding down the tarp or something? That's his murder gnome. What a weird joke that is. So, Doherty mentions on the commentary, the idea for this movie was each short would be a different phase of development of the holiday. So, this is when you're a child and trick-or-treating is dependent on your parent. They're the one who has to take you out to trick-or-treat. They carve the pumpkin with you. They're basically making you do all the traditions and teaching you about this stuff, but you're at their whims. Then we get on to the story with the kids trick-or-treating down by the quarry, and that's, you know, the first time you get to be independent on Halloween, and it probably means instead of just trick-or-treating, you're going out, like, egging houses and throwing toilet paper because no one's around to tell you that's bad. Then we get the girls who are in their 20s, they're partying out in the woods, also eating people. I don't know how that connects to the theme, but they are eating people. But that's the idea. That's like when you get to the Halloween party, and it's not just about getting candy, it's more about having sex. And then by the time you get to Old Man Krieg, hey, good timing, he just got tackled in the uh, background. That's like the Scrooge level of Halloween. It's when you're an old person who doesn't get to party anymore, who's not getting laid on Halloween. You're just waiting for kids to come around so you can throw them a couple pieces of candy and tell them to go away. Like you have lost the enthusiasm for the holiday. Now, once the candy and ass dries up, what's the point? Exactly. You become a creep. My opinion on everything. <laughs> candy and ass. I don't get it. I don't want it. So I'm obsessed with this kid's transparent gorilla mask. I really I think love he that made mask. himself. It's a cool mask. Which is, I love that you can just hear Creed screaming his head off. <laughs> no one else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyways. He's just masturbating to his photos of short buses again. When you look at vintage Halloween costumes, they're terrifying. Stuff from like the 10s and 20s. Just absolutely frightening. And I always get bummed. I'm like, oh, modern day masks aren't as cool. But that gorilla mask, that has something. Like, if, if there were pictures of you in that mask and your kids found them in like 40 years, they'd be like, oh, you were terrifying back in the Halloween of 2019. Well, the the important part of a scary Halloween costume that old costumes do perfectly is you can't look like the thing you're going as. You have to go as a hobo's idea of what that looks like. It's a very fair a sack point. has to be involved in some way. Too many current day modern costumes look very slick and mass produced because they are. Like each one comes out the same. They're an assembly line that just makes these things over and over again. Those old costumes, if you look at the ones from like the twenties and thirties. Like, there was some bored mother in a house sewing this thing, like, I'm going to make this scary as fuck. And she was right. She did a good job. But, like, no other person in the world can make that same costume. Which is part of the charm. Like, there's just some sort of weird personal insanity and eccentricity 
going on to make those that you couldn't buy in a shop? Oh, my personal favorite era of costume is the 60s with their costumes that are just billboards for the thing you're going as rather than actually <laughs> just a t-shirt that says Spider-Man on it. I wear There's that. something so charmingly scrappy about that. So to, to back also, up just a second. Is... Oh, go ahead. I'm just going to say, how good is that fake out? That was a great fake out. I want to comment on that. Two things. One, the woman who answers the door, uh, Doherty claims she is at the werewolf party at the end of the movie. I didn't spot her, but apparently she's like one of the extras walking around with the werewolf, so she's one of them. <laughs> Makes sense. Two, uh, when, they're doing the, when they're doing the head-stabbing part, uh, apparently Doherty thought it'd be a good idea to fake leaked publicity stills of Dylan Baker murdering that child with the knife. So they apparently like rigs himself up where it looks like he's killing the kid with a knife, and then they're gonna leak those as publicity photos. Like someone took them and stole them, put them online, just to generate buzz for the movie. Until the studio found out about it and was royally pissed. Like apparently he got chewed out for it. <laughs> Which, in his defense, how many times have you flipped through like a Fangoria and then been like, "Hey, here's Satanic Panic. Here's like three gore shots from that movie, so you know the fates of like three characters." It, it, it was a great idea. Is- I love the fake out. Like, get me. I would totally eat that up and be like, I know what's happened to that kid. What? And then if you'd saw that, that joke would have been even funnier. And it's plausible deniability. Like, oh, parents are mad? At what? That's not in the movie. (laughs) WB hands are clean. Gotcha. Although I will say, the way it's uh, structured right now, it goes along with that trick-or-treat theme. Again, the trick is on us. We think the dad's the killer. He's going to kill his kid. No, it's just the severed head. Minor. That's the uh, treat. Also, most of the other stories are supernatural. And part of the trick portion is showing us things that make us believe it might not be supernatural. That's the one exception, that one story with the father and son carving a pumpkin. That one's just macabre. So that one feels slightly out of place because of it, but they are emphasizing the turn more so than the other stories. So it bounces out. I love the slow build to the supernatural. That, like, doesn't really begin super coming into play until the end of this story. Yeah, we see Creed get tackled in the background, but we don't know what that's about. That could just be, like, a home invader. Yeah. So I love Rhonda's aesthetic so much. <laughs> it always <laughs> bothers me. How, how much... I mean, pumpkins are expensive. Yeah. I mean, some people places are just giving away pumpkins. Uh, you can buy them for an okay amount. You go to a Place pumpkin to patch, you collect them your own. Hell, I worked today. I left and there was like eight pumpkins just sitting out by the front door. I could have just take them and ran. <laughs> I think they okay. got them for an office pumpkin carving party and then not everyone carved a pumpkin. Could have taken them and ran. So, uh, just knowing the end of the story, is it always amazing to you that Dylan Baker fucking was getting down with this chick? I know, in his cloak, like he's at a fucking eyes wide shut party. Look, he's got dreamy eye contacts in. I guess to go along also, with this previous point, though, of, of this being the non-supernatural story, we get a second trick here, because we notice that Dylan Baker isn't supernatural. All the other stories, like, we had to switch to supernatural at the, their climax. His isn't. But he gets a second chance to come back around 
and flip us out because he's not a vampire like he's presenting to be. The trick is he's actually not supernatural, and then he gets murdered by the supernatural. So I wear the arch enemies of vampires. <laughs> I don't think people appreciate the brilliance of the switcheroo joke of this entire segment. Aha, it's it not really a vampire, it's just a serial killer. Werewolves yeah. exist. <laughs> just... <laughs> That's something amazing that this movie gets away with. Every story has a gotcha, but it never feels like you're getting Tales from the Crypt plot twists with every story. It feels very, very natural, organic. yeah. Tales from the Crypt, I love it, but the joke with those is you always know how it's going to end halfway through, and you're just waiting for karma to take place and punish the wicked. In this movie, you get to the end of like, Oh, well, they hinted they were werewolves, but it didn't make sense to me they'd actually be werewolves. I didn't guess that. Or the vampire would just be a serial killer and a guy we knew before. Like, on a lot of them, the twists aren't set up in a way where you're like, this is so obvious, just get to the point. Which I love. I mean, you could still run. <laughs> I just noticed the victim next to her is wearing a werewolf mask. I've uh, never noticed that before. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so many fun details. Also, do you guys happen to have Halloween parties like this in your towns or anywhere near you? No, I want to live in this town. Agreed. Uh, I'm very jealous. I have never fucking... been to a place where there's just people on the street having a like smallish town good time with that many people partying on the road. Halloween it's movies very have the ideal fucking Halloween. It's like everybody lives in a Ray Bradbury novel and it comes to Halloween <laughs> movies. Exactly. Mine's like, if I want to go downtown, it's just going to be a bunch of people in the clubs partying really hard or a bunch of people in costumes getting drunk in a bar. There's not going to be anyone actually on the streets. It's like fucking 20 degrees here. They're not going to go outside and dance. I'm very bummed out about this because fuck. Just imagine you could put on your Michael Myers costume and go have like an outdoor drink and rave. Hell yeah. And if you got the Myers mask on, you're not obligated to talk to anybody. Also that. It's part of the reason I like that costume so much. Also, many pockets. <laughs> here's a here's a question. Do you think like right before um maybe filming started or somewhere during uh post production, someone went up to Doherty and went, You know it's um it's pronounced Soloway, right? What? Then he stabbed that man. <laughs> I am on team Sam Hain. Fuck Solway. Sam Hain just sounds so fucking evil. Well, it just That's sounds a... like a dude down the street who sells drugs to kids. Yeah, Sam Hain. That's just the name of the Ghostbusters villain, right? The real Ghostbusters villain. Oh, yeah. What's sad? What's sad is. I've seen this movie so many times. It wasn't until this week's rewatch it clicked that Sam is short for Sam Hain. <laughs> I always thought hey. randomly Sam. I always thought that was really oh. holy shit. That transition wasn't that beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, also, this is very excites me. This excites me. Everybody, shut the fuck up. Not the not the short bus, but the <laughs> reference of one of the kids on the short bus. <laughs> There is Lee Doi Doi, the vampire. 
Because he's, I know that was uh, that was mean of me, but still, lead doy doy. So <laughs> he <fuck>? is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, he I got is really mean. <laughs> I have to make myself look bad. Um, he is totally. I don't care what anybody says. Dressed like the kid in Lady in White. And he is have... explicitly a reference to Lady in White. Now I have something extra to look forward to, and I watched that this week. A couple things. I like in this flashback, typically flashbacks, they, they almost go for more of a, I don't know how to describe it, I'm colorblind, like a pastelish type look, like everything's, yeah. you know, it, they have a certain flashback look. This one doesn't go that route. This one is more traditional, like, nostalgic Halloween daylight look. That's how you know it's past, because it's like the one part of the movie that's in daylight, it looks very crisp, like, not sharp or anything, just like, the air is crisp, the leaves are falling, kind of crisp. It's fairy tale uh, Halloween. It's fairy tale October. Like something from a Bradbury novel. Yeah. That's what I, I kind of love about it. It's the uh, juxtaposition with how fucked up this is. <laughs> very it's true. the only daylight in the movie, which gives it, like, even more of a dreamlike quality. Like, this is the one time we break away from the night. Mm-hmm. And it'd be hard to tell otherwise, because... I mean, they're driving through fields and stuff. There, There's not a lot of technology around to clue you in on if this is current or past. Even buses haven't changed all that much, apparently, over the years. Like, mine doesn't have seatbelts. My bus I went to school and looks pretty much like this one. That is really weird. School buses have been exactly the same since, like, the 40s. Yeah. The big difference here is, like, the costumes the kids are wearing. One... When I went to school, I got yelled at for wearing a Blues Brothers costume because I had sunglasses and a hat on inside of a school. That was too much costume. So I had to take the hat and sunglasses off, so I looked like just an asshole in a weird-sized suit. These kids are, like, wearing full costumes. This is how I dreamed of Halloween as a kid. Like, I would get to dress up as Dracula and run around. I love that Dracula mask. It's so good. It's like a zombie Dracula. It's very strange. Well, we got the weird Dracula. We got the kid in the back who just has on a paper bag with terrifying Happy Meal teeth. This one yeah, is a weird, horrible clown. Oh, the clown freaks me the fuck out. There's Satan in the background. I also just noticed there's like hair randomly stapled to this bag. So I love how Satan stays in character. He's a big man. Also, it is. It's so weird to think that it's Danny Houston driving this bus. <sighs> So for filming this, again, this was $12 million, which is a lot for what's essentially a direct-to-video movie, uh, but still not a huge amount. It's not like The Matrix Reloaded, where you have enough money to just shut down a highway and do whatever you want and blow up 40 cars. So for this one, it's actually a really cool mix of a matte painting in the background for like the quarry stuff. Uh, they had a miniature bus for the sinking part. And they drove a real bus filled with dummies off of a cliff to get it falling. And then they melded all those things together, basically, with CGI. And boy, that shot is fantastic. It looks seamless. Everything comes together so well. It all looks beautiful. That and his amazing use of CGI. Like, the stuff they did there really sells that effect. It looks 100% real to me. That's the kind of melding you want to see with visual effects. God, could you imagine... Michael Doherty, this is his first movie, and he has to pull off a shot like that. Today, we're driving a bus off of a cliff. 
Oh. Hope nobody does. That's really the amazing thing. If you watch this movie, the camera is almost like Guillermo Navarro style. Like it moves around quite a bit. We just saw it do that transition from the bottom of the quarry up to the top of the quarry and change times. There are so many points where this camera is kind of snaking around and looking at things. Really, that that's just hard to stage and it's hard to work around. Yeah. And for a first-time director, it's amazing that he makes it work that well without it either being too showy or without it feeling clunky. It's astonishing that this movie in general is from a first-time director. It's one of the greatest premieres of a horror director I've ever seen. Yeah, this looks like someone directed this who had been, you know, in charge of like 40 other movies. Yeah. Also, fun it, fact, weird. this top quarry area they're standing on, that was real. Like, they had a location. And then it was too expensive to find, like, a real quarry, and they had child actors, so they couldn't just drive them out to a place because they had limited time to film with them. So most of the stuff at the bottom of the quarry is just like a set with a bunch of CGI or fog filling it in. So you couldn't see like the green screens or anything expanding it out. And just a couple of pieces of set dressing to really make you feel like the bottom of the quarry was as big as it should be. And, and some really good matte paintings too are used in this movie. We should point out matte paintings more often because I feel like uh, they get not enough recognition. Oh God, we... Matte paintings are a lost cinematic art. Yeah. Like, there used There's... to be a fucking trade in that shit. You could make bank being a matte painter. Wait, that, that there's still digital matte paintings. Uh, one of my favorites. So remember in the first Hellboy where they're going to the island with Rasputin who's trying to open the portal? Like the overhead shot of that island through the storm cloud, that's like an all digital matte painting apparently. And they just zoomed in on that and added a couple of like flashing effects. So they're they're still out there. Matte painters can still do their job. It's just changed. What frustrates me about matte paintings, um, kind of as a cinematic language, is other than like hardcore cinephiles or film nerds or people in the industry, like old school people in the industry. Wait, hold on. There's the Viking lady. (laughs) Yeah, my girl. Actually, now that I've seen Viking lady again, I can agree, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) i just want to hang out with her and see what she's all about i feel like she would protect me from bullies it's true yeah she'd be like your personal china i uh oh shit what's the name susan strong she'd be my susan strong from adventure time (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry mike we interrupted your uh talk about map paintings oh yeah um other than like certain circles like within film there's there's a lack of appreciation for the art of a matte painting because it's such a um also that was the giant baby from um 13 ghosts by the way uh, oh my god oh my god it was <laughs> somebody um, cares and his name is mike doherty because <laughs> of course doherty's a fan of that movie yeah, there's a lot of fans of that movie. 13 Ghosts has a, a good little following right now. 13 Just Ghosts, I'm so glad people are now finally appreciating it fully, because 13 Ghosts is fucking fabulous. Look, I'll throw my hat in the fucking ring for 13 Ghosts. I'll fight for that movie. The Jackal. This premium early 2000 shock. It is! I love that so much! We're never gonna let Mike finish his rant about it. Never, never. Now I'm just thinking about the opening fucking junkyard scene from 13 Ghosts and how awesome it is. Fuck, that's good. Uh, Remember, we should just do a commentary for 13 Ghosts. 
Matthew Lillard's spine against the wall. It's like, oh, oh he banged him. 13 Ghosts is awesome. Matthew Lillard died for our ghostly sins. But yes, the underappreciated artistry of matte paintings. Oh, yes. But it's uh, what's interesting about matte paintings as a cinematic art form is it's born just out of cinema. And no one kind of, like, addresses that fact. Like, there's a lot of things that only exist in cinema. But matte paintings are such a, I think, an interesting melding of traditional arts and cinematic storytelling and moving pictures. I was going to say, though, it's a bump into that slightly. I mean, there there are big parts of traditional theatrical plays, too. I mean, there's always yeah. that backdrop that has to sell the rest of the picture. But, I mean, that's the precursor to most movies. I mean, hell... <laughs> If you look at a lot of movies in the 20s, they were just stage plays they filmed. And, and the actors can, were all stage uh, actors who were like, what, I just do it in front of the camera now? All right, let's act big. And even with that, it's like, the, like movie matte paintings have a completely different set of requirements. Like that shit has to move with the camera. It has to be of the same quality from like multiple angles and different uh, proximities to the painting. Like that, I think, is really impressive. Make something look photorealistic up close and in a long shot. It's an in-camera well, CGI effect. That's the that's yeah. the brilliance of it. With a theatrical Movie. play, they kind of expect, like, it's a curtain that's painted really well, and it moves with the wind or when actors are leaving the scene. In a movie, if you did that, people would probably roll their eyes a little bit. They expect a different immersion factor. Like it's supposed to try and sell you a little bit more on the reality. And there's the matte paintings that started popping up in kind of the 70s and the 80s that had sections of the painting that were screens to kind of blend in between live video feeds for in-camera effects and then the matte painting and make it all seamless so you can't actually see that there's just kind of a cropped area in the matte yeah. painting that's projecting an image. Now, didn't Coppola do that with Dracula? Yep, Dr Dracula had nothing but in-camera <laughs> effects and mostly using matte paintings. Dracula did, like, every trick in the book. Like, there would be miniatures, there would be giant-scale things, there would be, like, doubles. There were so many cool tricks happening in Dracula. One of my favorites. God, I love that movie so much. Same. Uh, there is a part where Keanu Reeves is, like, shaving, and the walls look like they're closing in on him. And they accomplish this by just having people behind the walls, moving the camera around, and then moving the walls closer by manpower as he's shaving. <laughs> So you get that sense of claustrophobia because they were literally just squeezing him into a box as like the camera rolled around him and Keanu stepped through his marks. My favorite is it probably is. the train where it has oh, a, that's they, such a good one. where they yeah. have the miniature train in the background, this matte painting that has like a back projection for Dracula's eyes and this giant um, version of Jonathan's journal up in front of the camera. Oh, that is God, amazing to see so it all cool. come together. Right, and it's weird because you watch it now, and you're so used to them being able to just throw that stuff together on a computer, you don't think much of it. Yeah. But if you stop and hold your attention to it for a minute, you're like, wait a minute, this that's that's a fucking gigantic journal. <laughs> like, I wish there was more behind-the-scenes stuff of all the tricks they used to make that, to make people appreciate what a fucking hard thing that must have been. It's insane the level of work they put into pretty much every scene of that movie to sell all these things. It's such a testament to the artistry of that film that there can be so much wrong with that movie, and it's still an incredible experience. I get mad when all people want to say is, oh, Keanu Reeves sounds like a surfer dude. It's like, yeah, well, who fucking cares? <laughs> Look at that giant yeah. train. 
Look at that giant journal or like Gary Oldman's Dracula. That's all you need. Who cares if Keanu Reeves doesn't nail the accent? Which, oh, uh, Dracula everyone in that movie has a fucked up accent, so I feel like that was intentional almost. Well, Dracula is a testament to the fact that you can actually make a pretty solid movie out of a bad script. Yeah. It's true. It's like that and the fifth element. <laughs> also true. This is uh, a very cool prank, and I'm very glad these other kids die. These kids have it coming. This is one of my favorite things, uh, recurring things in EC Comics. The innocent aren't necessarily protected from bad things happening to them, but yeah. they will always get their revenge. Cosmically, something will come back around and avenge an innocent if they are harmed. They might get harmed. They probably will get harmed. But it's going to come back twofold on the person who instigated the harm, which is pretty nice. We live in a world where, fuck, bad things happen for no reason to good people all the time. And it's nice to think, hey, maybe there's a version of this where those people eventually get their comeuppance. And that in itself is scary in its own way. Like, as much as it's kind of comforting, like, that's something that's super in the old EC comics. The idea that the universe will not protect you, the universe just wants to hurt. And if it sees an opportunity to have a morally justified reason to hurt someone, it'll take it. But you're still screwed. <laughs> yeah, it won't go back and, like, fix you up. This isn't, like, Tales from the Crypt. Or, fuck, I'm sorry, uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's not going to be like, oh, everything's fine now, it's fine. I do get mad when that happens in movies, though. Like, where at the end of the film snaps his fingers and all the dead characters come back and all the damage has been undone. I think it's oh, fine yeah. for children. But as an adult, I'm like, nope, that person was fucked because the universe is cruel. They're just always fucked. I know Rhonda has it pretty good after this story. <laughs> she got tricked, and the only people that wanted to be her friends hurt her. Like, I feel like psychologically for that character, this was a huge blow. She's best no, friends she with Sam now, though. Yeah. yeah, but Sam has to go away. He's he's a you know he's a one month kind of guy. <laughs> I'm going by Neil Gaiman rules, and the current day culture for Halloween is one month of worship. Sam gets one month of strength in America. The shorts say otherwise. <laughs> now he He's went wandering around during different holidays, giving off mischief. Yeah, that's mostly just thanks to Henry Selleck and Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> sure. Sure, why not? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a hoot? They finally get around to doing a sequel to this movie, but it's a crossover with Nightmare Before Christmas. No, just Sam and Christmas Land. The Sam and Jack Skeleton just hanging out and trying to figure out what the fuck they want to do. It'd be like There's a young entirely... gun meets the old guard. I just want to see a recreation of what's this, but it's silent and Sam is just killing everyone he encounters. Just poking dead birds with a candy cane. Poking dead birds with a candy so... cane sounds like a song. <laughs> Another hobo song from Tom Waits. I was about to say, it's a Tom Waits song. When I was poking dead birds down in Christmas land. A boxcar Christmas, the new album from Tom Waits. <laughs> Send that postcard to, to that hooker in Minneapolis. Going back to the prank for a second. I know this is like my like 2019 brain thinking, but... 
this does seem like an awful lot of work for a prank they're not filming. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, this was a 2007 movie, 2006, I guess would be the filming date. So the concerns for filming everything and throwing it up on like YouTube or whatever, not really there, which is very refreshing, honestly. To not see a movie that has to explain cell phones or going viral or kids being obsessed with phones. Fuck, that gets tiresome. It's nice that we, evil did not go online with this film. Yeah, we just had a horror movie come out about a killer app that counts down how many days you have left to live. Like, we don't... Uh, fuck, we, I, I understand technology is a good use for terror, but we don't always need that. Oh, I love the sound effects here. Just the squelching <laughs> noises. <laughs> they died brutally. Oh, it's so bad. This is one of those exceptions where normally I like seeing the gore. This works so much better when you just hear these children being god-awfully murdered and you just see Rhonda do her badass walk away and, hey, it's our buddy Sam. I love that fucking Laurie Strode shot of her walking towards the camera. <laughs> so got our lit pumpkin protected. Game knows game. Sam moves on. I love how Sam just making sure everything's going right. Yeah, just checking in those on kids those die. kids. Cool. Also, the, all those jack-o'-lanterns are a fire hazard right now. Uh, the leaves are wet. So okay, they're styrofoam. This is this is a dorky thing. I don't have plans for Halloween tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do. I could go to a bar and just hang out, but that sounds boring. But if I drive down to the like Apple Valley Zoo. They have a thing where each night they have several thousand pumpkins they light up, and you just walk through the zoo and, like, several thousand pumpkins line your trail. I might just spend Halloween looking at pumpkins. Do it. That sounds delightful. <laughs> it seems, it sounds like a scene from this movie. Like, you just go through and be like, oh, shit, there's a pumpkin carving of the Wizard of Oz. There's, like, 50 scary face pumpkins. There's just 100 pumpkins stacked in a line on fire. That seems fun. Why do I feel like the pumpkins are going to lead you to, like, the center of the zoo and there's going to be a gorilla with clown makeup on, like, conducting the whole thing? Like, this is all set up for the Animal Kingdom getting its Halloween revenge on man. Jamie, you've, made a, at the right Jamie, you've made a really weird Silent Hill movie, is all I know. <laughs> Just like or you have to fight your way to the center of the zoo and there's a gorilla in... Joker paint just conducting it all. No, he was behind it all. Dead. <laughs> the teddy bear. <laughs> the teddy bear fucking cracks me up every time. Oh shit! Oh. I forgot to pay attention. I, I forgot to pay attention to the woman in the cat suit. I might still see her. Oh, I think Maybe. I just saw her in the background. So I like Wonder Woman there. Yeah, most of the girls in the scene are pretty young. <laughs> now I'm just watching background extras. Who are Same. you? Reveal yourself. This is so sad. No, oh, he had some more next to bite. So, fun fact I forgot to mention. Apparently in the original script, if we can jump back to the previous segment... The kids were going to be already dead, and they were attempting to remind Rhonda that she was also dead, apparently. It was going to be like one of those, the, the twist was that, hey, no, we were on the bus. We're those kids, I think, or something along those lines. They didn't go into super detail. 
apparently that was dropped in the writing phase, though, when they realized a couple other movies already kind of had that plot twist, and Doherty was like, no, we got to spice this up. Which I'm glad that he did. That would have been really cliche. Yeah, yeah that would have so. been lame. Hooray for first drafts. You can always get better. It also doesn't give you an awesome kill at the end. Uh, another fun little fact for stuff we've already gone way past, because I'm super behind on my notes. Uh, if you see someone screaming in this movie, there's a good chance it was filmed for real. Because apparently Doherty just likes to hide behind trees and then jump out at cast people while they're filming them secretly. <laughs> like, there's one part where Anna Paquin bumps into Dylan Baker and uh, she screams. And they, apparently that was what happened. Doherty was behind a tree, didn't tell her he was hiding there, and he just popped out at her. And she screamed, they filmed that, and that was the take they used. But if they used any more of the take, it would have just been her laughing and, like, yelling at him for pranking her. Apparently he did that several times throughout the movie. That was just how he, like, got his kicks. What's really uh, weird is when he did that while filming Godzilla. Yeah, just... Oh, I'm a tiny lizard. Uh, another fun uh, fact, now that we're in the werewolf camp, the trees you can see around there, this is all a set. They were going to film on location... But it snowed in, like, Vancouver, and it was just too cold. So they did it on a set. Uh, there was a snowstorm that actually went through. Oh, that hot dog, man. He's so dead. Uh, they, there was a snowstorm that destroyed a bunch of trees in the park they were going to use. So they, it was unstable. They couldn't film there. They did the set, and they had to borrow trees. This is real, I swear to God. They had to borrow trees from the movie Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. <laughs> oh, it's from that this scene? Yes, these trees were stolen from that movie and that scene because they needed trees. That's awesome. So there you go. Also, I uh, honestly like how it's a set with fake trees. I I don't know I like fake movie wood sets. Especially for horror stuff. I don't know why, because real woods suck. Movie woods are the best. Yeah, they're too... Organized. A lot of them are like people tore all this down a while ago and then planted nice rows of trees, and it doesn't look right. Bullshit. That uh, is just the woods from Mortal Kombat. Exactly. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, fun fact here. So right now we're obviously listening to Marilyn Manson's uh, cover of "Sweet Dreams." Uh, it wasn't this song originally. So oh. they first filmed this. It was uh, ah shit. I should have written down the artist, but it was a song called "Fever," and Doherty filmed it to that. That's what everyone's dancing to, a song called Fever. Uh, Thomas Tull from Legendary, he listened to it and he's like, man, this is not aggressive enough. And he told Doherty, find something more edgy, something like more extreme. <laughs> so they went back and he like put the the, uh, the Manson track in and they ended up loving it eventually, but it wasn't their first thought. That wasn't like their idea of what this scene should be. Really, it, uh, I mean, it looks like it's filmed to it. That's, That's the amazing that. thing. Like it works so well. Also, this vampire scene, vampire scene, werewolf scene. Ugh. Oh, I love the skin ripping. Oh, that's so it. good. And it, what I love is also it's like it takes one of the transformations from a dream sequence in the shitty American Werewolf in Paris movie, <laughs> where she like rips off the skin. There's where there's werewolf for underneath from that dream sequence. Like, what if we just did that for real? I like how they don't try and do the Robotine transformation sequence. Yeah, like this is—it's—they're just ripping off their skin, which also is so gross when you see them peel off skin like fish nets and just throw it against a tree. There's Ugh. nothing sexy about it, though. It's just so no. gross. And it's such and a weird. good, simple, practical effect. Also, Anna Paquin with these contacts and fangs—what an iconic horror look! Oh yeah, I know. Oh, my God, That's a fucking damn. poster look. 
it's, I just want to see her walking around like that in a movie. That oh, should be like, yeah. yeah. Fuck. Oh, that'd be amazing. That should be the poster right there. Her just baring her fangs like what big teeth you have. Ah. Oh, so also, good. I love Sam. I love Sam there like <laughs> I saw boobs. Just <laughs> and uh it was it's the same uh effects company that did Underworld, right? I yeah. believe so. so. I think what's, right. what's amazing is like the underworld uh, werewolves are are awesome, but I'm really impressed. These look completely different. They're a weird melding of different styles. Well, these these werewolves are like all practical. Like they had just a wolf puppet. Yeah, but they're very limited too because we don't have to see these wolves move at all. So they just had to make like a really good model. Mostly their heads. Which I also want to point out, anytime you see this kind of shit, there are people that actually have to sit in a studio somewhere planting hairs into a werewolf mannequin like one at a time <laughs> from like a yak or something. It's insane. Like the amount of craftsmanship that goes into these things really is underappreciated. It's it's stunning how hard they work to make something that's on screen for a grand total of 30 seconds in clips, not even just one continuous shot. So that's why it always frustrates me when people are super dismissive towards like bad horror movies, like bad genre film in general. It's like even to produce a turkey, so much blood, sweat, and tears has to be poured into the movie, mostly by people who were not responsible for the quality at all. That's the bummer. Like taken piece by piece, most movies have a lot of great things going on. If you watch them as a whole, unfortunately, as we all do, they just don't combine as well as they should. And it sucks because all the people that did amazing work kind of get lumped in with the people that fuck things up. Yeah, well, that's the problem with, like, now where you can just do, like, Adobe effects and it looks like shit, but you can just have, you know, the director do it, like, in his basement on a laptop. (laughs) Or before, it's like there was even the shittiest direct-to-video like horror movie circa like 1992 is incredible with the artistry that goes into it. Look, I'm think looking of, at you, the video did. Exactly. Think, think of Jacko. I'm going to bring up fucking Jacko. <laughs> Do it, Mike. Preach. That goddamn puppet man thing with the killer was, it still looks cool because fucking craftsmen went into building that goddamn costume. That that was back in the day where, regardless of budget or quality, there was a fifty-fifty chance Tom Savini was working on your. <laughs> <laughs> so, God, I was thinking earlier today. God, could you imagine being the costume designer for Green Book, or even like the production designer? Like, it takes so much hard work to make a period piece. Oh, yeah. and it's for that movie. It's like, oh. Uh, cool. On the other hand, Shape of Water, same situation. Like you have a director who's very specific on detail, and everyone loves your movie, so they also pay attention to it. So you never know how it's going to work. Speaking of which, though, really pay attention next time you watch Shape of Water, how good the costumes are on that movie. Like, it's it's very distracting because there's Doug Jones as a real fish man. Like, they might have just turned Doug Jones into a fish man. They did. But there's also all this amazing costume work that looks perfectly period accurate and does such a good job accentuating who the character is. They did an astounding yeah, I, job on that movie. Everybody looks like they were drawn. <laughs> also, I totally forgot about uh, <clears throat> Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island popping up there for a moment. Yep. I love 
What I love about this scene is I think at this point, the Showtime rotisserie infomercial had been long gone from TV screens. Which yeah, but makes look me feel like he's using. This is all ancient technology. True, but I just feel like this means I'm a kindred spirit with Michael Doherty because the Showtime rotisserie barbecue infomercial was my jam back in the day. <laughs> I mean, you just said it and forget it, Mike. I had so, I uh, watched that thing on a loop hours on end on my shitty little TV in my bedroom growing up. A couple of fun facts about that video montage of Krieg watching TV. One, uh, one of the clips they got, they couldn't use the original audio, so they had James Marston come in and record over it, so Cyclops has a cameo in this movie. Awesome. Because <laughs> Michael Doherty was just tight with the original X-Men and all those guys. Uh, obviously, we already talked about Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, a classic. Um, but there was a, a this this wasn't in this segment. Actually, there was a very brief video clip of the house on Haunted Hill. But um, earlier, there was an audio segment featuring narration from Vincent Price that they included just so they could have the right to say Vincent Price was in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dory did the same thing with Godzilla. Uh, Vincent Price is actually the voice of King Ghidorah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, another fun fact. I, I only have so many fun facts. I got to throw them out when I can. Brian Cox had a lot of input on his character. Like he came in, read the script, loved it, and apparently had his own ideas for some of this stuff that didn't quite match Doherty. He's the one who suggested look for Krieg. He said he wanted to make him look like John Carpenter. So this is what they ended up with. Doherty heard that. And said, <laughs> that was yeah. that was Cox's fucking pull. Cox said, "I want to look like John Carpenter," and Doherty's like, oh, "I'm not going to turn that down." So that's why he has that long hair and and that look. Because he decided, I fuck, I want to cosplay as Carpenter in this horror movie. I always love how every time you kind of read an interview with Cox, Cox is the exact opposite of anything you'd expect him to be. You'd think he'd be so pretentious, but this guy's amazing. Yeah, and he's super into shit like this. That's why I always love. Yeah, like he's a fan. He, he appreciates the material. He enjoys what he does. Brian Cox is the best. That dude kicks ass. That man is delighted that he is technically Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Manhunter's a weird situation for me. Because that movie is directed better than Red Dragon. But Red Dragon also has like the like the fans Hannibal Lecter inside of it. So it's tough for me to look back at Brian Cox and go, yeah, that's good. They're, they're, too, they're almost too different to me. Like, I think Red Dragon's probably the better movie. Yeah. I... It's love Manhunter, but they're so different. Manhunter is like a They're dream. so different. They're, it's so weird because they're the same plot, but if you watch those two movies and you told someone like, oh, they're based on the same material, they'd be like, what? They probably wouldn't even recognize, like, oh, this is the same story. I wouldn't, which is insane because it is literally the same plot they're adapting. Michael Mann owns Manhunter. That is a Michael Mann movie to the max. Yeah, Man That's Hunter, fantastic. Yeah, Manhunter is a, like, surreal uh, like dream music video oh it really is I, I love Manhunter I would say as far as comparing Cox to Hopkins like you were saying it's almost too different they're really not the same character because Cox is not Hannibal Lecter in that movie he's a dude named Hannibal Lecter yeah, Lector. Lector. They spelled it weird as shit in that 
like Tor, they did like, OR. Well, they gave him different motivation like, and everything, so like literally. Yeah. And that was Cox's really thing. Like, he wanted to be as normal. As, he just wanted to be as normal as possible with the performances, which is why it stands out on its own, separated from Hopkins, but they're so completely different. Like, that Lecter has none of the supervillain of uh, Book Lecter. Which works in that one, he strikes me as so evil. Like, he just seems like a vindictive asshole. Yeah, well, he was more based on. Um, Fucking, uh, the co-ed, uh, no, not the co-ed killer, um, serial killer name. Uh, BGK? No. Um. <laughs> the Zodiac. Michael Mann actually knew I, 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 I believe that. Oh, we've already come to the conclusion that uh, David, David Fincher was the, was the Zodiac. No, um. All along. He the, also the, has the a other famous killer that's death. not Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Ted Bundy. About Ted, oh, there we go. Oh. Sorry. Okay. Yes, like that yeah. lector was more based on like Bundy, which is kind of what Cox is kind of doing. Like just like he's pure evil, but he's also just kind of a dude. <laughs> which makes perfect sense for the Manhunter universe where he's man's also trying to simultaneously sell you that no, Tom Noonan is the devil. Like yeah. that milk toast dude would also be the space alien with the pantyhose on his head. <laughs> but the tattoo is too much. <laughs> we I, really, I we goddamn that. need to spend more time talking about We do, we keep going off on fucking tangents, and we're in this room now. The greatest thing ever. Also, what an amazing thing. If someone talks to you about the power of editing, just show the scene. Because they're not doing any special tricks. They just show the camera going into the room where none of this exists. They changed camera angles, so essentially they just turned the camera off, moved it. It could have been like five weeks later, we don't know, and scribbled the shit on the wall. And all of a sudden, through the magic of editing, one second later, you see all the writing on the wall, you see the pumpkin flaming, and it happens so quick, you buy into it, and it becomes like a magic trick. Like it happened in front of you. And God it's damn. It's the simplest I, thing in the world, and it works so well. The, I love the pumpkin flaming. Look, we've seen it twice so far, but I love it so much. It's a good pumpkin. I love the simplicity of this final story so much. We've seen yeah. so much craziness in each of the other stories. And this kind of just becomes like what you'd imagine the third act of the changeling to be. <laughs> if it didn't uh, have a thir the third act that movie already has. Like if, if the changeling, if shit got real with George C. Scott in the end of that movie, I feel like it would play out like this. Also, it's fun because... We've been trained to expect a big twist in each story so far. But the way this one presents itself, you're like, oh, there's no twist. This is a home invasion with a supernatural creature that we've been hinted at throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. And then, of course, the twist is Krieg accidentally follows some of the Halloween traditions and is spared only to not really be spared because he fucked up earlier. I like that because you, for a minute, you stop thinking of twists. You're just like, oh, this is going to be a very simple story. And they still hit you with a twist when you're not expecting it. They hit you with two twists when you're not expecting it. Yeah, I love how the twist of Krieg being the bus driver isn't really treated like it's a twist. It's just slowly made obvious until yeah. at the very end they kind of nudge you to make sure you got it. Yeah, I mean, well, like, the, the he, he has the scars, scars too. They're yeah. so obvious. Yeah, they didn't want to make you surprised by it. But they didn't want to make it so you make the connection, like, in the first second, probably. 
Oh, what a good shot. <laughs> we got the spider walk. Exorcist uh, three shot. My last fun fact. Ah, uh, my last fun fact here. For Sam, they actually cast a nine-year-old to play Sam because they didn't want like a short person doing it. They wanted like someone as clumsy as a nine-year-old because their motor skills aren't as refined as an adult, which really shows in the character. Also, every time you see Sam's hands, he's got little baby hands. It's hilarious to me. <laughs> and they love that idea of yeah, Sam looking like a toddler. Not really a toddler, but like a small child and still having that kind of mischievous, not quite developed attitude to him, which is expressed perfectly through a child actor. Uh, also, the weird thing is they claim they had nine-year-old stunt people. Like, I don't know if that means they had nine-year-olds that were trained to stunt people. There, there, there people. were children stunt people, yeah. Yeah, apparently they had child stunt people that did some of these scenes as well, which freaks me out. Like, I don't like the idea of a nine-year-old being more physically capable than me. Most nine-year-olds are I physically capable. Of that. I don't like that idea. It's just true, but I don't like it. Also, Sam just trying to eat the guy after he can't stab him. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I love how... how... What do you love, Jamie? Love what do you how... love? I love how after all this, when Sam is revealed to be a pumpkin man, it's like, okay, I buy it. Yeah. Well, even it's more not than that, person. it's not just a pumpkin person. Because if you look at it, his face is kind of carved. He's got, like, stitches on his mouth. This is, like, a pumpkin that has malevolence to be like, I need to shape my identity. There's there's some weird stuff going on with this design that's not explained in the movie, and it's fascinating. Yeah, it's very. It has a, the design has a history to it, which is interesting. Another weird thing here, not a weird thing. This just pissed me off. So when I got the movie, the original DVD copy of this film had a slipcover that was the poster for Halloween, and when you took that slipcover off, there was an alternate cover underneath, which normally is really cool. I love that level of design, but the underneath cover was a picture of Sam's pumpkin face. <laughs> so before I even got to watch the movie the first time, I'm like, oh, well, now I know what that guy looks like. So the big reveal at the end of the movie when the burlap sack is pulled back, I'm like, yeah, we knew that. It's on well, your covers. Yeah. They have since stopped using that design, but <laughs> it was a real bummer at the time. Uh, fun fact. I keep saying I'm out of fun facts. And I keep finding new ones. The world is beautiful. I ran out of tiki booze, so now I have a can of Tin Whiskers Nut Goody Porter, which is chocolate, peanut butter, and maple syrup all mixed into a beer, because Ugh. I deserve candy while I watched the last 10 what minutes the of this movie. Fuck? I think that's worse than last commentary drink, Cody. What the fuck? This shit is delicious. No. Chocolate and peanut butter go together great. Maple, I agree, but no... No, Cody. No. Bad Cody. Down. You, you go outside. Like, you don't like craft beer, Dad. You don't know what it's like. Also, we just got a thing reference from the John Carpenter lookalike, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> you gotta be I fucking kidding me. Idea. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't mention that in the uh, commentary, but... I mean, there are all sorts of... <laughs> Slight references throughout the film to other horror films. Doherty's one of us. He loves these things. It brings the, a mask back. I like how this is both a, <laughs> uh, the, a a thing reference and just an Evil Dead reference as well. Also, the insert shots of that are so simple. Like, it's just the hand off camera or that one. Like, there's just a hole in the set. But it works so well. Like, fuck, that's the same shit they were doing in Evil Dead 2. God, Sam this looks freaky. This movie is... This movie is magical for never 
feeling cheap or glossy. Right? Well, still doing a bunch of cheap <laughs> effects. Like, again, that's the power of editing. You buy into the thing. When the rest of the story works so well, you don't pay attention to the technical aspects. But they're doing a lot of yeah. simple tricks just to pull this stuff together, and it works. That's really the sweet spot for horror effects, I feel, when you can tell <laughs> that things are done practically and tactile, but at the same time, you're not sitting there going like, oh, well, they conk that in later. I'm sorry, Jamie, you said that's the sweet spot as Sam picked up the lollipop. You're really stretching for a pun. It wasn't a pun, it was a, well, a visual pun, but it just coincided so well. It made me laugh. But Sam's lips God, underneath I want that mask freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> That's another trick. Like, they just add the Foley sound effect of an arm breaking, even though there's no reason that arm would break in that twisting motion. You see that in movies all the time, but it's very effective when they get the right gushing noise. Yeah. Also, I love that lollipop weapon. Uh, so good. They were selling versions of that without the razor blade, uh, unfortunately. As yeah, I almost picked here. one up. Let's, let's uh, folks at home, I know you're going to listen to this probably after Spirit Halloweens have closed near you. You should just go to their website and buy this shit. There was a bunch of trick-or-treat merch this year. How cool yeah. is that? You could buy Sam lights, like little Sam lights that had sound effects or something with them. There there was the lollipop, like, sword dagger thing, whatever you want to call it. As an accessory you could buy, you could get a Sam costume, a Sam mask. Who would have guessed this direct-to-video movie from like 10 years ago jesus christ 10 years ago would eventually become such a big deal in cult fashion that you could go down to your local halloween store and buy a whole costume to go with it trick-or-treat has a seasonal presence now it's pretty much everything doherty wanted like yeah. sam has become one of one of the halloween characters it's an adult hocus pocus <laughs> pretty much yeah that's something we haven't really talked about that i thought was very fascinating reading interviews with Doherty. Like, this was made in the spirit of giving Halloween its own mascot, because Doherty thought that Michael Myers didn't quite fit because he was too serious. And I love how, like, when you really, like, deconstruct Sam, he is the perfect Halloween horror character. His weapon is a broken lollipop. <laughs> His face is just a carved pumpkin. He's got the burlap He's mask a over that. Trick-or-treater. He's a sinister trick-or-treater? Yeah, he respects the traditions. Halloween has a lot of traditions for what seems like a chaotic freeform holiday. Yeah. And I, it's the only icon that actually uses the trick or the trick-or-treat aspect. The, the trick-or-treater aspect. It's mm-hmm. kind of usually glossed over in these kind of things just for... And then he, that first, that thing kills people, which is good. I mean, I like things that kill people. One thing we haven't mentioned, and this is honestly amazing storytelling this was done without audio like there was no dialogue to explain that krieg had to follow the halloween rules to sam like he sam took the candy and walked off and krieg figured it out himself without a monologue or without another character for him to explain it to and the audience does the same because we see him observing those rules and we internalize it yeah this is trusting your audience to figure out what the fuck you're saying and it's so good. So many other movies would have like ADR dialogue or a narration over this shit just to explain what happened. And it doesn't, it's not needed. This one trusts you to figure it out just by showing you the events. It's really, a- really confident, smart filmmaking. Speaking of, I've never noticed that the kid is trick or treating as his dad. 
<laughs> setting up the fact that oh yeah he's probably just going to become a serial killer as well this is going to be the uh, kill bill revenge story where eventually that kid grows up and has to go after sam but yeah, or i guess the covenant werewolves <laughs> so that's something the movie doesn't get enough credit for there's so much subtle silent world building weaved throughout this like even the opening credits are filled with so many little things is a nice touch we have made a full circle here and we're now back to our opening segment once more i have to say though as a couple's costume they put a lot of work into this and they should be proud of themselves for a girl who doesn't like halloween she made a gigantic box robot costume and wore that's a lot of work that's that's impressive that's look the costume was not easy to drink in not easy to walk around in it's hot like that is a girlfriend who is making strides for her boyfriend who is really into this she seems very complicated. I get the sense she's very complicated. So I meant to bring this up during the beginning, because I've seen completely different takes on this. Is the fact that they need to watch porn before fucking, and it's just a, <laughs> the same VHS tape over and over again, is that supposed to signal that they're like a cool modern couple, or is that supposed to be, oh, look at the pathetic yuppies? Because that's how I've always taken it, but a lot of people think that's really adorable. It's supposed to give them pathos. I think it's really I'm, sad, yeah. I mean, I live alone, so, like, if if some person was like, hey, put on porn and then we'll have sex, I'd be like, hey, this is pretty fantastic. You seem cool. <laughs> so I just realized the VHS tape has a different title on it. They have to hide it from, I guess, themselves. <laughs> yeah, what, what if her parents come over? Maybe they live in the neighborhood. And they just start watching her VHS tapes. It said nature documentary, though. That's catnip for an old lady. That's true. They should hide that better. Oh, maybe that's their be fetish, like though. They want to, uh, like, they keep inviting the elderly over and uh, hoping that it will fool them to accidentally watching porn. This hey, is, Mr. Uh, Krieg, we've got that videotape of school buses going into the water. Ooh, ooh. Um, hey, James Banford did stunts on this. Hey, I was about to say, this is a hard situation to gauge, and I realized it was in relation to porn, so that would have been terrible word foo. Uh, but oh. I feel like, in a lot of ways, like the things that I would assume to put on there so other people wouldn't watch would actually be what other people might want to pick at random. Like, to me, I would put it like, Home Movies 94, and throw it in a corner somewhere, and they'd be like, hey, cool, memories! And be like, no, please, not that one. I would just put testicles in anus. <laughs> Honestly, if you're smart, if That's you had one, you should, you should just write it as, like, a fucking horror film. Just put it it's as, like, Fear like, of the Living Dead 4, Rave to the Grave, and old people probably be like, I have no interest in that, I will leave it alone. That is pretty much kryptonite, isn't it? Like that or like the last Tales from the Crypt movie. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, are you talking Bordello of Blood or are you talking uh, Ritual? Ritual, oh. the fake one. Ah, uh, okay. I still haven't seen that. Fucking Ritual. Why would you? Uh, exactly. I only they have so many hours to spend. They deleted him? I thought they just threw him in just so they could get some like you know product placement in there. Now, didn't they, uh, Mike, didn't they cut Crypt Keeper's scenes out? Like, they're only available on the DVD? I believe so. Why in the world? He's always the best part of any media he's involved in. 
I'm still waiting for the one they tease at the end of Demon Knight. Yeah. I'm very mad that the right situation is so messed up right now for Tales from the Crypt. Because <sighs> I would, I would, I mean, I think we're primed right now to get a revival of it. We are. Creep Show is doing amazing for Shudder. I feel like if HBO Max, they're buying up products left and right. If they could somehow launch a new Tales from the Crypt and bring the Crypt Keeper back, fuck, that'd be enough to tilt me into buying that service. Oh, you'd be printing money. Stop putting things on HBO Max. That's that service I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get it either, but I'm still mad about that. That's what I'm saying. This would be enough to push me over where I just fucking buy it. Jesus Christ, let's talk about anything else but Trick or Treat. Have you guys bought... (laughs) 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 Have you guys guys bought any of the uh, collected trade paperbacks of uh, creepy comics? Because, like, if you go into Barnes & Noble right now, they have a bunch of them, but they're, like, $50 a crack, and there's... I have, like, two hard, two of the big hardcover collections. Ooh, what do you think of them? They're good. Are are they worth the money? I'd say so. They're good, like, art. I mean, I have the big, like, the the hardcover ones. There's, like, yeah. uh, smaller, like, paperback ones. Uh, no, I'm talking, like, the hardcover ones. They I haven't seen the softcover ones. I've only seen, like, the actual hardcover editions. They're good. They're great reprints. Uh, they're, they're also kind of have like an archive quality to them with like uh, extras. I I highly recommend them. Oh, that's good to know. See, that's the thing. They seem really cool, but I feel like if I buy one, I'm gonna have to buy like the other goddamn fifty of them. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I have two and now. It's like, well, I've gone down this hole. Yep. That's why I stopped collecting. They they were releasing the original Batman comics in chronological year for a while. And I got the first two. I'm like, I can't go down this path. I can't. Batman's been around too long. I can't buy them all. And I, I just gave away the first two years because it was going to be too tempting otherwise. <laughs> yeah, they stopped oh, that's me printing those. The comics collections. They're uh, so expensive and there's so many of them. They really stopped making those Batman ones? I, I guess after a certain while it wouldn't make sense because there'd be more than just Batman published. And I don't think anyone, I don't think they are exactly hot sellers. Yeah, the first couple years are really fun, just from a nostalgia standpoint. Like, hey, fuck, it's the first time you see the Joker. Look, there's Batman hanging a giant from a glider. Like, there's a lot of weird things that are just Once you're into the mid-50s, though, you're not plopping down a gigantic price point for just, like, Batman goes to the zoo today. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Honestly, no, I might Chronicles the entire Chronicles, like, publishing line was axed in, like, 2005 or something, wasn't it? Like, they hard-stopped those, like, in the middle of publication. Yeah. Oh, it couldn't be 2005. Fuck. No, 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 it couldn't have been that. No, they did bring back a version of that in bigger, in, like, these really huge collections a couple years ago, and that they also stopped. It's kind of like how every time they go to reprint uh, Sandman Mystery Theater, they get Volume <laughs> 1 out, they get Volume 2 out, and then they decide those didn't sell enough and they never print Volume 3, the last goddamn volume, so I can just never fucking have Volume <laughs> 3 of Sandman Mystery Theater. They were also going to goddamn include the Sandman Mystery Theater and Neil Gaiman Sandman crossover one-shot, and they didn't print that either. I'm really mad about it, and I'm sorry I... I went off on this, this no, tangent. No, that was that was the perfect rant to end trick or treat. Happy yeah. Halloween, everybody! Happy Halloween, everybody! If you've enjoyed this commentary, because honestly, this was sterling, you should enjoy it. I'm trying confidence now. It feels weird. I don't like it. Stop. But it, if though. you enjoyed this, yeah, this is terrible. Whole thing. 
fuck, if you're an idiot and you like this shit, there's more box office pulp available. (laughs) 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 Sorry, sorry, I can get through this. (laughs) There's there's no pressure. The movie's over. We can do multiple takes. This is garbage. There's more box office pulp available on Stitcher. You can find us on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Just look up box office pulp. And we have our very own website, boxofficepulp.com. And more exciting than our bullshit, Mike, fuck, you've got your own shit now. Why don't you pimp your shit? I am now a contributing writer to uh, our good friend Carter Lee's new horror website, horrormovieshub.com. Uh, it just launched, um, so expect a ton more shit. Uh, I, I'm privy to some information about what's uh, coming soon to it, and it's pretty big and pretty fucking cool. So, uh, go ahead and bookmark that. It's the uh, it's the hub that drips blood. Go ahead and uh, go there. Uh, I've gotten two articles up at the time. This recording is. Uh, Carter's got a nice cocktail recipe uh, for you on there as well for Annabelle. I saw uh, that. Comes home. Uh, you're gonna get mad, so like, drunk. He's doing drinks too. He's doing drinks too now? I was mad. You I ripped him off fight, somehow so through time travel. Uh, ah. He's my boss now, so I have to say that. Um, God damn it. So go there, check it out, follow that on Facebook as, uh, as well. And uh, Carter's also uh, Twitter pages at the Carter Lee for uh, further information as well. Yeah, I've read Mike's first two articles, and they are excellent. I learned so much about Halloween as Grinch Night. I could talk a Truly... lot about Halloween as Grinch Night. It's fucking weird i mean that's the best way to describe they should just put that on the dvd cover for the special features regardless folks thank you so much for joining us i hope you have a great halloween a happy halloween even uh and if you don't listen to this on halloween which makes sense because that's fuck just one day out of the year uh you know save those goodwill for next halloween i don't know bankroll it anyways folks that's a wrap get the hell out of here i'd like to get killed by a sexy werewolf but what if that sexy werewolf killed you Inside of a short bus plummeting over a ravine. Oh, God, oh, Jimmy, God. stop. Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, I just came oh, scary God. movie style. God, my office. My office is covered in cum. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. I really thought we were going to stop that with Mike going, I would really love to be murdered by a werewolf lady. And no, it got worse. Like, we left enough silence where I'm like, good, that joke is dead. What a great way to get... No, there's more. We have to return from the well from which we started, Cody. (laughs) Oh, that's our Halloween parable. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.